I don't like standing on the stage that much because I feel like I'm a person in authority and I don't actually feel like a person in authority. And um, especially when you start looking at scripture and sometimes even actually get to the point where you think, um, why has God given me this job? (laughs) Because sometimes scripture really freaks you out. And um, that's what's happened to me this week. And um, I'm hoping as we um, just look at a bit of scripture today that God really challenges every one of us to the reality of the authority of God and gives us a bit more of a grasp of who he really is. Um, Over the last um, couple of times I've preached, uh, first time I was preaching about just the blessing of God and especially the fact that um, as a consequence of God's love for us, if we follow him and choose to follow his commands, just a blessing that we receive as a consequence of that. Um, today we're going a little bit the opposite extreme um, in that um, I want to look at some people and characters in scripture who were supposedly followers of God yet chose to disobey God's ways and the consequence on them and even the people around them um, and um, so we want to look at the challenge of what that brings to us. Okay, So that's where we're headed first bit of scripture I want to look at let me um, it's all good to go okay this is Exodus chapter 20 and this is the Ten Commandments so Israelites that come out of Israel Moses goes up to the top of the mountain and he comes back with this I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery you shall have no other gods before me Oh, talking to a different James, I thought he was talking to me there for a second. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, punishing the children of the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Seems quite bizarre, really, when you think about it. That bit of scripture is saying that he's calling us to love God with everything that we've got. He's number one. Simple as that. He's absolute number one. He also points out there's consequences to not putting him number one. And not only to us if we choose to do that but also to generations after us if we choose to do that seems like a bit of a harsh call that maybe our children or their children might be punished as a consequence of something that we might do anyway I want to tell you a bit of a story which is from Samuel so we're going to be looking at the first six chapters of Samuel and I'm not going to read it because it'd take a while but I'm just going to try and give you an overall view of some of the things that was going on. And I'll put that up there, so if you do want to take note of where I've actually got this from, that you can write that down, and then you can go home and you can read it, and just get a clearer picture of all the things that's going on. So this is how the story goes. I'm going to have to put my glasses on so I can look at a couple of names as we go through. Um, so in a place called Ephraim, um, there was this guy called... 
Ikana. Okay? This guy had two wives. Um, one of the wives actually had a number of children. The other wife didn't have any children at all. The other wife who didn't have any children was desperately, desperately wanted to have children. Um, this guy actually used to go to the temple every year. Um, and at the temple he used to make sacrifices. He used to give even um, animals to his wives so they could sacrifice as well when they went to the temple together. And the wife who had children, <coughs> excuse me, used to also taunt the woman who didn't have children. So not only was this woman suffering as a consequence of the fact that she didn't have children, but the other wife would actually give her a hard time about it. The reason being, she was a little bit jealous because that guy, whatever his name was again, because I've forgotten already, he actually um, really loved the woman who didn't have the children a little bit more than the other one. So there's this little bit of a battle going on. Um, this, the woman who didn't have children was so desperately um, hurt and upset and had a difficult, that big of a difficult time with it. Um, when she was in the temple, she was desperately praying out to God wanting um, children. So much so that um, the high priest who was there, which I'll just check, I think it's Eli, but I'll just double check. Um, it is Eli. I just um, looked at so much scripture this week, I just want to make sure. Eli was, yep. Samuel 1, chapter 1 to chapter 6. Yeah. All those chapters, yeah. Yeah, yep, chapter 1 to chapter 6. So this one was so distressed um, that um, ended up in a conversation with Eli because Eli actually thought that she was drunk. And they have this conversation and she just shares her heart with Eli and sa- says, Could you pray that I will have a son and that if I do have a son, I'll hand him back to God um, and he can be um, in, I'll bring him back to the temple and give him up back to God. That's how desperately she wanted his son. Um, it happened, believe it or not. Um, Samuel was born. Um, he took, she, after he was weaned, actually took him back to the temple. Interestingly enough, at the same time as all this was going on, Eli's two sons, who were supposedly mature adults, um, Eli was a high priest. His sons were supposed to become high priests as a follow-on in a um, family line that they had a responsibility in the temple. Eli's sons, um, in, when people were making sacrifices, would, were actually um, forcing people who were making sacrifices to take a cut off their sacrifice. So um, the, the process, let me explain a little bit better. The process in the sacrifice is that they would boil the meat, take the fat off the meat, and then they would burn that fat offering to God okay, in, this, in the process of sacrifice. And then the priests would actually be able to eat the meat that was left, okay, so the boiled meat. Um, the sons didn't like the boiled meat and wanted roast meat. So they were actually making people make, take a cut off the meat so they could take it away and roast it instead of eating the boiled meat. This upset God greatly. 
um, because the sacrifice was to him. Um, the guys were actually thinking of themselves and what they could get for themselves. These same guys also were sleeping with women outside the temple and God also didn't like that. So they were sexually immoral as well at the same time. So much so that a prophet came to Eli and um, told Eli that God was really dissatisfied with that. Um, The prophet said with a message from God that his sons were going to die young, that his sons would both die on the same day. And as a consequence of that, that from generation to generation in his family, their family's um, children were going to die at a young age. Okay? Um, a little bit after that, what happens is the Philistines, which were always the enemy of Israel, they seem to pop up all the time. David and Goliath is a classic story of the Philistines attacking um, Israel. And um, the Philistines attack Israel and the Israelites are losing the battle. 3,000 men are killed. Then what happens is they run back to Israel. They decide they need to get the Ark of the Covenant because that's where the dwelling of God was or God's presence. Take the Ark out to battle. Another 30, I think it's 30,000 men are killed and the Ark of the Covenant is actually captured by the Philistines. Philistines take the Ark of the Covenant back to one of their cities and uh, celebrating the fact that they've won over Israel. They've also got the Ark of the Covenant. The interesting thing is that Eli's two sons both killed in that battle. Both dead, gone. One of the guys that was in that battle rushes back home to Israel, tells Eli that his sons are both being killed. Um, Eli at this stage is, um, I think, 90-something then he tells Eli that the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. Eli falls off the chair, breaks his neck, dies. Okay? In the Philistine place where the Ark of the Covenant now stands, the Philistines think it would be fantastic to put the Ark of the Covenant next to their God. The next morning they wake up and their God is on his face before the Ark of the Covenant. They pick up their God, put it back up. Next morning they wake up, their God's head has gone and the God's feet has gone and the body is laying in front of the Ark of the Covenant again. In the process after that, what happens in the next little while is that this city that it's in all of a sudden starts going into calamity and disaster and stuff starts going wrong and tumours start breaking out in the people in the city. So all these people start dying from tumours, etc. The Philistines think themselves, we don't want this in this city anymore, so they take it to another Philistine city. Same thing happens, calamity comes on that city, tumours start breaking out. They say, we don't want the Ark of the Covenant, so they take it to another Philistine city. Same happens again. So they gather all the leaders together from the Philistine nations, as well as um, like the um, supposed prophets and the their leaders in the temple and also the people who are into doing divine type things. Um, gather all these people together. They say, um, what can we do about this? They say the best thing to do is to get rid of the Ark of the Covenant. Smart thing to do, you would think, in this situation. So 
they say to the Philistine leaders, just to make sure that we know that it's because of the Ark of the Covenant, what we suggest you do is get two calves who've just had calves, take their calves away and um, put them in a pen, put the two calves on the front of a new cart, put the Ark of the Covenant on the cart, put gold um, statues in there to, uh, as a sacrifice to God, or the Israelite God that is, put it on the cart and send the cars in the direction of Israel. If it turns to the left or the right, um, you know that it was just coincidence. If it doesn't and it heads straight to Israel, um, then you know it was as a consequence of the ark being in our place. Think about this. Notice that they've, first of all they've chosen cars. It actually says that those cars had never pulled a cart before. They'd also taken the calves off these cars. Okay? So when you think about that, the only thing that those cars are one are going to do is to go and find their calves. Yeah? You would think that would be the case. That's not what happens. What happens is they point in the direction of Israel. The cart goes directly to Israel. Okay? Interesting thing that happens there, it goes all the way to Israel. The Israelites find the cart, they celebrate the fact that they sacrifice the cows, they break up the cart and make a burnt offering using the cows. Seventy of the men in Israel decide to have a peep inside the ark. Okay? Not a smart move, they all die. Okay? So that's a little bit of what happens in the first chapters of Samuel. The reason I bring it up is. Some of those things seem a little bit weird, okay? But does reflect how God feels about people um, stepping away from following Him and doing their own thing. It shows a little bit about the authority of God and His character. And it shows a little bit about the character of God that we don't talk much about in the church today. We talk about the love of God and that's clearly demonstrated in what we've just been doing in communion. The compassion that God has for us. Okay? But there's another side to God. He's a jealous God who doesn't like us putting him as second best or even thinking that we might be able to get away with some things without him knowing. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well that's Old Testament. Things have changed now. We'll share another story from Acts, Ananias and Sapphira. Okay, so this is New Testament. This is after Jesus has died even and resurrected. Um, the church is just being born. It's, it's like just exploding. The church is so alive that people in the church are so excited of being in communion with each other and loving each other and being compassionate towards one another that people actually got to the point of just selling their property and giving the whole lot to the church to help people that were in need. Okay? Ananias and Sapphira decide they'd get on this bandwagon and they had land and decide they'd sell it. And Ananias had a little chat to his wife and they decide to keep a little bit to themselves. Okay? give the rest into the church 
And Ananias is standing in the church before Peter, um, handing over this offering. And Peter says to him, is this the whole of your offering? And Ananias says, yeah, this is, this is everything. And Peter confronts him about the fact that he's lying before God. The offering that he was giving to God, he was lying about it. Ananias drops dead. Okay? Now, you might think that's a one-off. Sophias comes in a few hours later. They've actually taken Ananias out. Okay? Sophias comes in. Same confrontation comes from Peter. And she claims exactly the same things. And he tells her that her husband has died as a consequence of lying before God. She pegs that. It's full on, isn't it? That's New Testament. We might um, move on to the next scripture. So John chapter 15, 1 to 16. This is um, the vine and the branches in scripture. In this um, bit of scripture... Um, again if you want to look it up I encourage you to it's a great bit of scripture in this scripture Jesus is actually talking and he's actually saying what I want you to do is remain in me and then he says and I will remain in you okay that's the whole basis of the bit of scripture I want you to remain in me and the heart of the matter is he wants us to be 100 totally committed to a relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants us to be full on involved in that relationship. And as a consequence of that relationship, what's going on in the vine and the branches is saying that um, I'm the vine and we are the branches and that the Father is going to prune that vine and establish that vine and that we should be bearing fruit as a consequence of that. So if there's parts of stuff that's going on in our lives that isn't bearing fruit, um, what happens with a grapevine is it's usually grown along a fence and they do that so they can see the whole of what's on the, the vine, the fruit, and what might not be bearing fruit and what is bearing fruit. And what isn't bearing, if there's a branch that's not bearing fruit, they'll cut it off. Okay. And that bit of scripture talks about the fact that that's what's going to happen with us. So there might be stuff that's happening in our lives that's not healthy, that's not good going to be cut off the other parts of it are going to be pruned and helped along and hopefully produce more fruit and realistically that's probably the gifts in our life that should be producing fruit in our lives they're going to be established and grown in our lives hopefully on the basis that we stay in that relationship with Jesus Christ okay then it goes on to say that if we're not producing fruit and we're not growing and all those sort of things that we're going to be cut off from the vine and thrown into the fire. And the reality is, is the, ch- the challenge in that bit of scripture is that we need to be working on and staying in a relationship with Jesus Christ continually. Because there's a possibility that if we start rejecting things that Jesus Christ say that we could be cut off. And it's a dangerous thing to be rejecting what God's call in our lives is. 
Uh, I know that I'm probably walking a tightrope as far as what I'm saying, particularly with this bit of scripture, because there's a lot of people would say that um, once saved, always saved. And to a certain extent, I believe if you're fully saved and know Jesus Christ in your heart, I don't think you could reject him and choose to be walking away from him. But there's another bit of scripture in Revelation, for example, that says that I prefer you to be hot or cold. And if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. And this is from God. He doesn't want you to be a lukewarm Christian. He wants you to hand your whole self over to him. Okay? So let's move on. Okay, I'll just read. Can I move on to the next one, Rosemary? Which is in Chronicles? Yeah, we'll do that one first. Okay, so this is Chronicles. Again, it's Old Testament. But I want you to take real notice of what this bit of Scripture is saying, okay? This, this is the heart of the matter, okay? Okay, so really take notice of what this is saying. And you, my son, son will acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with a wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Just go back, Rosemary, if you could. Notice in here, it says, For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. So what you're thinking and what I'm thinking and our responses to that, God knows. God knows. Think about the consequences of that. So, for example, these two sons of Eli, they thought they might have been getting away, but these, these guys were potentially supposed to be high priests. God cut their lives short. He knew what was going on. He knew that they were scamming to get the best meat. He knew that they were having sexual relationships. He knew that was going on. This woman who eagerly desired to have a child, he knew her heart. He knew that if he gave her a child that she would be committed to fulfilling that and ultimately she actually had Samuel and Samuel actually became the high priest to take over from Eli and the sons. God already knew that was going to happen. Had have figured... Think about Ananias and Sapphira. Weird that Peter actually knew what was going on. I was reading through scripture and I actually looked up um, a bit of I've got a what they call a chain reference Bible and in the chain reference Bible it actually links lots of scriptures together. And I was looking at examples of Jesus actually knowing the heart of people. And over and over and over again it happens just example after example where Jesus actually knew what was going on inside of the person he was talking to. 
classic example is the woman at the well he knows your heart now that should scare the kajibas out of you it, it, it scares me because at times my heart at times is not the way it should be and there's times I think to myself there's things I want to do which I shouldn't be doing the thing that scares me is God knows that's freaking scary you could be in this place tonight deceiving yourself thinking that you can deceive God and the people around you and it might be well that you might deceive the people around you saying that you're a Christian you're all good and your heart's well thing is if it's not if your heart's not well with Christ and with God he actually knows if you're making an attempt to to deceive him you're on the wrong track and that should scare the crap out of you God knows your heart conclusion of the matter for me is that come to things like communion I get up in the morning or when I'm going to bed tonight I should be saying God I want my heart to be clean I want my heart to be in a place that's good before you I don't care what other people think I want my heart to be right the reality is there's consequence if you don't have your heart right with God come back to one of my favourite bits of scripture which I've used the last twice I've preached okay and then I'm going to finish with this this is Matthew chapter 22 and I think it's about verse 30 it says love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind it's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbour as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Everything that you've got, everything. If you've got sin in your life, man, I'd be encouraging you to get it out. Get it out of your life. God knows what's going on whether you like it or not you're an open book okay let's pray do you feel like you need prayer? <laughs> I feel like I need prayer <laughs> let's pray yeah. Lord as one of your people I come before your throne to challenge afresh just to the fact that we have sin in our lives and 
Lord, the reality is, whether we like it or not, there's consequences to that sin in our lives. Father, I pray that you use your word and people, your Holy Spirit, to challenge me and to challenge every person here to think about where they are in their walk with you this night. And Father, that your Holy Spirit especially will just challenge us to ways forward in our relationship with you. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit will refresh us anew to be passionate about giving our all over to you, Lord. Lord, I want to thank you for your love for us. Lord, I especially think of the words of the disciples and Peter. Where over and over again we're reminded of just your grace and your love and your understanding of our weakness. But Lord, I just pray that you just help us not to be conceited in thinking that we can get away with these things, Lord. But Lord, that you just challenge our hearts to be passionate about doing stuff, to do something about sin in our lives. And as a consequence of that, Lord, I just pray that we just bear fruit, that we see you alive in our lives and that your kingdom may be grown as a consequence, Lord. And I ask this in Jesus' name.